Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Again, so we're going to let the Word of God speak to us again this morning in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7. Hear the reading of the Lord. Keep on asking and you will be given what you ask for. Keep on looking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And the door is open to everyone who knocks. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. If you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? I want to speak to you this morning from a sermon titled, Life is Better When the Father is at Home. Pray with me. God, we thank you for being our father we thank you for revealing yourself to us as our heavenly father and i pray that today you'd speak to us from your word god i pray that you'd anoint me to say the things that would honor you and teach us what you'd have us to know in jesus name amen life is better with the father i told you before we got into the reading of the word uh how the devil wants to mess up what god wants to set up what god puts in order the devil wants to bring disorder to i believe that's why Americans are so easily led away from God. As I talk to our missionary friends around the world, that all these banners you see in the back, all this map and newsletters you see, these are not just organizations that we send money to every month, although we do send money to them every month. These are friends of ours. These are people that I'm in relationship with that come to our church, that talk to us, people that we know. And as I talk to them, it doesn't take long in speaking with them to get the feeling that God is more important in their country than he is in our country. It was forever from the founding of this country until the last few decades that America led the world in sending out missionaries to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. But in the last 30 years, other countries have begun to send missionaries to America because America has left God. President Obama got in trouble with a lot of people that just wanted to uh, just say something against what he had to say. But he got in trouble when he said America is not a Christian nation. And when he was uh, uh, presiding as the president of our country, he said that. And a lot of people got all sideways and twisted and said he only feels that way because he don't love Jesus and, and whatever they wanted to say. But in reality, if you listen to the next sentence, he said America is a nation of Christians and of non-Christians, of Jews, of Muslims, of, of people with no religion. And the reality is, all see, people my age and older, they want to hang on to the fact forever that America is a Christian nation. But all you have to do is do a cursory uh, study of who's even going to church in Christian churches anymore. The fastest growing religion in America is Islam. The second fastest growing religion in America is not Christianity, it's witchcraft. America doesn't even make the top two in fastest growing 
religion. So as much as a lot of older Americans would like to believe that American is Christian, America used to be predominantly Christian. We are the founders, amen, Deacon Dixon, the founders of our our country came together with Bible in hand, wrote Bible into the Constitution, wrote, made, said all of them said that they governed through the eyes of the Bible and looked to the Bible and, and couldn't imagine uh, a life without God. But those days have been long gone in American history. Those, those days are not the nation that we live in anymore. And you can beat your chest and want to say, as long as I'm alive, America's going to be a Christian nation. You, you need to wake up and realize that America has changed, and not for the better. We, we, we talking about this message this morning, life is better when the Father's home. Father's Day, 2018. I don't know what kind of family you come from, but I can tell you what type of problems you are bound to have if you came from a family without a father. And I can tell you how blessed you are if you came from a family with a father. I'm going to throw some statistics at you this morning. I, I, I normally would not be this detailed in my stats, but I want to drive a point home to you today. Listen to some statistics from this nation that was founded under Christian principles that no longer has fathers in homes. 63% of all youth suicides come from fatherless homes. 63%. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 85% of all children that exhibit behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. 69% of sexually abused children come from fatherless homes. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 70% of juveniles in state-operated institutions come from fatherless homes. And 85% of all youth sitting in prisons come from a fatherless home. 85% of every youth, I I drive my children through different neighborhoods. We we like to get in the car and ride. Sometimes my kids say, Dad, can we just get in in, in a navigator and go for a drive? Because they know typically that means, you know, going and, and getting a 44-ounce fountain drink and some, some, some candy to ride around. But I like to show them different areas. Everybody doesn't live in a golf course community. Everybody doesn't live in a community with, with four pools and, and diving boards and slides. And I like to take them. We were at downtown Jacksonville a couple of weeks ago, and I was showing them some different things. You know, you go across. My children have learned, if you don't already know, you haven't been around enough. But anytime you drive across a set of railroad tracks, you enter into a different geographical area. The, the saying is they come from the other side of the tracks for a reason. And we crossed over some, some railroad tracks a few times, and we found ourselves deep down on 8th Street going toward Talleyrand down there by the Toyota port. And I pointed to the left as, as we were driving down toward the port um, to the Jacksonville Juvenile Detention Facility. And I told him, when all your little bad friends at school Talk about being locked up in juvie. That's where they're talking about, right there in that building with a barbed wire around it. 85% of all those teenagers sitting in that facility right now uh, are are in prison are fatherless kids, and 70% of all juveniles are fatherless children. Without a father in the home, things change. Listen, one one statistic that's not up there, over 90% of all felony cases in this country are committed by adults who had no father in the home, 90%. See, we can get focused on whatever you want to get focused on. Some some people ignore the the pain, the pathos, the problems of our country, and they just inoculate themselves in their cute little suburban home 
you know, with, with their 2.5 children, the dog, the white picket fence, and park in the garage and, and, and lock the doors and act like pain's not going on and life is not going on. We can blame stuff on everybody else. We, we, can look, we can look at what slavery has done to the African-American community and this nation as a whole. We, we can point fingers at everything that doesn't involve us, but at the bottom line, there are people who have been through everything that have overcome most things, but people who are raised in a fatherless home are less likely to overcome anything. 90% of everyone who's in prison right now on a felony grew up without a father in the home. You say, well, Pastor Scott, that doesn't make me feel good. I'm a single parent raising a child right now. You be the difference. I'm a single parent raising two teenage boys right now, and I have to be the difference. I have to be. Uh, you say, well, at least they have a father in the home. My, my kids need a father, and they have a mother. I wish my children had a mother in the home. I, I wish that their mother was still alive. Their mother died when they were two and four, and that, that's too long ago to, to remember. And it's difficult, but I want you to know, if you're saved and you count on God to help you, even children from a single-parent home can be successful in this country with God's help. Don't lose hope. Don't let these statistics cause you to lose hope. But allow them to open your eyes. Allow them to let you see Clearly, and if you have a heart for prayer, and, and I, I wasn't going to talk about this because I get emotional and I've, I've, I've cried myself out um, already last night, uh, but uh, many of you, most of you weren't in church uh, when Gail and I started this church 17 years ago, um, and, and she died on July 16th, 2006, 12 years ago next month um, in her 30s of cancer. A couple of years ago, and, and, and I've always... Uh, hurt for myself, for my kids, for our church, for our community, for the world's worse off without her, but especially for her family, her parents, to bury uh, your child at, at 36 is, is difficult, and yesterday life got increasingly more difficult because they buried, uh, they saw their youngest child, Gail's sister, died yesterday of the same cancer, and now they have lost their only two daughters in their 30s and so on father's day today uh, there's a man named billy who is having a tough time if you pray pray for him kids growing up without dads have it difficult in life see it's easy I, a pastor friend of mine preached a message last month he called the he titled it online so I listened to it to find out he titled it online the most important message I've ever preached and most of my pastor friends are African-American it's just kind of the place I grew up and so I listened to the message and he blamed slavery for every pain uh, that is being experienced in the black community but see I'm a teacher and if you have the spiritual gift of teaching here, here's a few things. Now, when I did my series on spiritual gifts, I showed what type of people have these gifts. Because everybody who thinks they have a spiritual gift doesn't really have a spiritual gift. A lot of people think they have a gift to teach. A lot of people come to Abundant Life and say, Pastor Scott, I've learned more in six months at Abundant Life than I learned in six years at my former church. Well, that's because your former pastor didn't have a gift to teach. 
People who have a gift to teach love to read. They love to study. They love charts. They love graphs. They love statistics. They love information. They love to roll numbers around in their head. They typically like baseball because baseball is heavily drawn on statistics. <laughs> baseball keeps more statistics than any other sport in the world. It, it's crazy the amount of statistics kept in that but as I listen to this message and obviously I don't make light of slavery obviously I believe it's it's it is a hor horrible thing that created unjust pain for uh, uh, not just one race of people but for the whole world and not just for America because if you haven't studied the statistics on slavery and you just locked into American slavery realize that American slavery is the smallest part of slavery in the history of the world you you you, you want look at Jamaica slavery Look at Barbados slavery. Look, look, look at slavery through all the islands. Look, look, at, look at the amount of people. Uh, you know, the queen right now rules over like 70 different nations. The queen of England, that old chick that'll never die. I tell y'all about her all the time. Man, I, I went to kindergarten, first and second grade in England before my parents got divorced. Dean and I went to school in England. And, and man, they, I was taking French, foreign language, in the first grade. Uh, I mean, their, their education is, is, is serious over there, but we, we were over there, and I can remember the queen, when I was a little kid, I'd be 55 in, in, in about 50 days, and I, I'm old, and the queen was old when I was six. <laughs> we go to Buckingham Palace, we, we go, we see, the, see all these people, and the queen, she ain't changed a day. In 50 years, this lady was old, frail, white-headed, and, and old. Did I say old? She was old. So everybody in England was like, Prince Charles, Prince Charles, the crown prince. And, and that means he's next in line waiting on this old chick to die so he can step up. You know, I mean, most, most kids want their mom and dad to live forever. I kind of got a feeling about crown princes. and they, they probably like, move on out. Your time is over. Her time just won't end. This dude has gotten so old waiting on his mother to die, he now holds the record of being the longest prince apparent in the history of the world. Nobody ever waited longer to wear a crown than this dude. So much so that they don't even talk about him being the next ruler. They figure mama going to outlive him. She don't die. She's got to be 130. I mean, she was, she was in her hundreds when I was a kid. She got to be 150. But she's old, and Prince Charles, he's just been waiting forever on her to die. Uh, and, and now they're talking about his, his, uh, his children, William and Harry. I mean, and, you know, I mean, apple don't fall far from the tree. You know, Prince Charles... Messed up. He created a lot of hubbub, uh, they call it hubbub, over in England. He created a lot of to-do in England when he decided to marry Diana the commoner. Could you imagine that's how they referred to you? That, that, that's code for white trash. That's, what that, that, that's, that's racist English folk code. When, when princes die, America was all you know, excited about princes die. Listen, I, I got some issues with princes die. Uh, it ain't got nothing to do with the message. I'm just talking right now. <laughs> I got some issues with Princess Die because Americans liked her a little too much for me. She was too much on the tabloids for me. And she died the same weekend or the same week that Mother Teresa died. Mother Teresa gave her life to tell the story about Jesus and to help poor people around the world in the name of Christ. Princess Die 
was a divorced woman who died drunk in a car being driven by a drunk. If the chauffeur, if the, if the guy, if the third dude in the limousine, that the, the commercial driving license is drunk, how drunk do you think everybody else was when it crashed? Okay, so this woman died drunk in a car being driven by a drunk. But she, that don't make her any worse than me, but she ended up on the front page of every paper uh, the same week Mother Teresa died, and you couldn't find Mother Teresa's news anywhere other than page B32. But so America got a little, you know, they, 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 they love Princess Di. Why? Because America's full of re- rebels. This country is birthed in rebellion. This country birthed in hate. This country birthed in, in arrogance. I don't, I don't say that to say I don't like America. I love America. I believe America's the greatest nation in the world. Every time I hear women complaining about inequality in America, first thought in my mind, move to Iran. Strap that on for size. See how you like that. Every time I hear gay people, I don't have a problem with gay people. It's not, it, it's not any more of a sin to be gay than it is to be a glutton. The Bible says they're both wrong. Okay? So, uh, but every time I hear gay people talk about how horrible America is because they don't have any rights in America and we, we need more equality in America, I'm thinking, you do know that in every Muslim country in the world, they still kill people for being gay. They kill family and friends if you know they're gay and you don't out them. They execute you. But people want to bash America. Every time I hear people bashing America, I I think, okay, I know America's got problems, but it's still the greatest country in the whole world. So much, and I can't know, and listen, I don't pretend to be anything that I'm not. I've spent a lot of time pastoring predominantly African-American church. I, uh, I think the white people that come to Abundant Life are, are, are special, unique, different, and braver than the average Caucasian. You say, well, why they got to be brave? Here's what I, I, I'm, I'm out a bunch of folk today because, you know, it's, it's just us. Let me out a bunch of people. Next time you're already sitting down and the visitors come in at 11 because they didn't know church started at 1030 or they don't want to come and hear the music, and when somebody walks through that door and they're any close to a shade of me, listen, if you're whiter than me, you got issues. I'm white on design. I put on sunscreen. Uh, I'm only outside for four seconds at a time. From the time I leave my carport to the time I get in my Lincoln, okay? I'm not, I ain't one of these people. You know, they, they're like, uh, Pastor Scott, when are you going to come lay by the pool? Never. <laughs> Do I look like somebody lays by the pool? I'm too fat to lay by a pool. I'm too old to lay by a pool, and I ain't trying to change color. It's so funny. I, I heard one man say that uh, America got so much wrong, they, they, they call uh, black people colored when, and, and, and not, just, not just white people. I mean, you still got the NAA. There it is. Uh, what does that C stand for? But he, he was saying how it's so backwards that, that America would call black people colored because the ones who are really colored are white folk. Think about it this way. When we're out in the sun too long, we turn red. You, if, if, if you embarrass a, a, a white woman, she'll blush. It, it, when they die, they turn blue. Okay, so who's real? Black folk just stay black. I, I, I'm trying to help y'all before I hit y'all. Because the reality is, in this great country that is so rebellious and birthed in so many problems, 
it's easier to blame the problems of ancestors than take accountability for today. And as I listened to my friend preach this message, he made every ill come back to the same thing. The reason why, he said, so many black men have children outside of wedlock is because they were chose to be breeders in slavery, and that's why they do it. And that sounded reasonable. He said the reason why uh, black families are in the shape that they're in in America today because slave, slavery tore the black family apart. And that sounded reasonable. He said the reason why black families are uh, so steep in poverty is because they were birthed in the poorest parts of this nation. And that sounded reasonable until I did more research. Until I did more research. Now, you can choose to hold on to your information. I'll hold on to mine. The reality is you got to love me in spite of me. These are the mature Christians, people that stay at abundant life. They hear hard things, and they don't run out mad. Or they run out mad, but they come back. They, they get glad in the same pants they got mad in. Okay? I heard Thomas Sowell, who is one of the most intelligent African-American men on, on the planet, especially in regards to the African-American home. And, and he put these facts down, and I validated them and found them to be true. He said that the welfare system of Lyndon Baines Johnson did to the African-American community in one generation what slavery couldn't do in 400 years. He said, talking of his own people, that, that black people, he said, are the most surviving, the most overcoming, the most resilient, the most able to deal with things and stay together. And here's the facts. And these facts are undeniable by anybody who would do any research. In 1960... Before the welfare laws of Lyndon Baines Johnson, before the Civil Rights Movement, in 1960, 70% of all black children in this country lived in a two-parent home, which was on par with Hispanics and white people. Black people, according to Thomas Sowell and every statistic I can find, in the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, look at the dress. Pull up some pictures of some oh, Suits, ties, dresses, business owners, keeping their yard cut, being stable, decent, hardworking, thriving group of people with seven out of ten families raising their own children. And now the number is approaching 80% of all black children are living in a single-parent home. So it, he proposed this, either... Slavery stopped it, had no impact for the first 350 years and saved its impact for the last 50 years. Or it's not really slavery that has put the, the, the black community in the problem it's in. Because if you study the facts, you'll find out, listen, when 70 plus percent of African American families were living above the poverty line and were living in two parent homes, that, that, that ought to be shocking toward the statistics you hear today because it's now approaching the exact opposite where 8 out of 10 African-American kids are being raised by a single mother. Now, so what really did that? What, when did that really happen? Did that happen in the 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, 1900s? Or did that happen when the, the oppressive government decided to incentivize fatherless homes? 
when the oppressive government decided what Lyndon Baines Johnson is on record saying, and you can hear it out of his mouth, we'll have those bleep voting Democrat for a thousand years. Because he knew what Thomas Sowell is telling people now. That some people are more willing to take a few crumbs handed to them than to go out and work hard for it. This is the reality. This is the reality of a, a, a nation where you can sit back and, and you can say America's to blame for every problem that, that the African American community is facing right now. Or you can say in spite of what America has done to us, we're going to be better and we're going to be the difference. Personal accountability. There are too many successful people, red, yellow, black, and white. There are too many successful people, single parent, dual parent. There are too many successful people, grew up in poverty, grew up in wealth, from all different strata of life for you to sit back and say, well, it's somebody else's fault. Sure, there's disadvantages. Sure, you, I mean, and you can talk about privilege and non-privilege. Listen, I feel very unprivileged compared to Bill Gates. I mean, I got a few dollars. You need some money, come see me. I always got money. I, always, I got a few dollars, but I'm broke as a joke compared to Bill Gates. I got to be responsible for me, though, and we got to be responsible for our own lives. And I want you to know this morning on Father's Day 2018 that fatherless homes were incentivized in the 60s by giving people money to not have a man come around. I met a man in a church I attended one time. I didn't even know this existed. I was young, dumber than I am now. And he, it was his job to go to projects and to spy on them at night. He worked a night shift uh, and a day shift sometimes. But it was his job to spy on women living in free housing to make sure they didn't have a man coming in at night. And he was, he was, he was racist all, all the way through and through, and he wanted to find them so he could yank their benefits. That was his job. That's what the state pays people to do now, to spy on folk living, living in, uh, in, in welfare homes to make sure that there's no man. Because in 1960, there were men in all homes. And now the African-American community is more greatly uh, hurt by these welfare programs than any other group of people which I'll say it again because I know some of y'all hate me for saying it, but it wasn't my statistic. I was quoting a, a genius uh, sociologist um, who said that welfare did to the black community in one generation what slavery couldn't do in 400 years. Black people were together in this country in the 30s, in the 40s, in the 50s. All you got to do is look at the pictures. There wasn't people sagging. There weren't people dropping out. There weren't people committing crimes. They weren't people just giving up. They were people taking personal responsibility and thriving under the most adverse situation you could possibly imagine. So much so that in 1991, when I was a member of an all-black church, which now is called the Potter's House, I went on a men's retreat. 139 men. We stayed for a week in the woods of North Georgia, and I found out what it's like to be the only one. It's an experience that white people don't get often. I found out because there was 138 people that didn't look like me. And then there was me. And then so you start thinking crazy stuff, you know, because, like, every time I've ever had a, a, a black friend, if we get to driving out in the woods, he's like, there's a lot of trees out here, man. You're planning on bringing me home, right? Y'all know. 
I started looking at them trees in North Georgia. I'm like, I ain't so worried about the trees, but there's a lot of cliffs out there. They could just throw a little brother off. But there was a man there. He was an older man. He was after 90. He was beyond 90 in 1991, so he was born at the turn of the century. And he told stories every night. We'd sit and we'd listen to him because he was fascinating. He had a different out- outlook. He had a real outlook. And he said that it hurts him to see young men giving up on life. It hurts him to see young men not getting education. We were talking about black men. It hurts him to see young men complaining about how unjust and how unfair the system is and how it's rigged against him. And he said he feels like it's a slap in his face because he lived in a really unfair time. He lived through some, and and you may be sitting here thinking you live in some unfair times too, and that's probably true. But you got it better now than what Mr. Shumpert had it. In, in 1920, he told a story about when he was in the third grade, his parents left Alabama because they were tired of what was going on, and they moved to California. And he only knew Alabama as, as, as a man in the, in the early 1900s in this country. And when he went to school, I think it was third grade, they told him what class to go to. And he went in, and he stood at the doorway, and the lady said, uh, well, I was expecting you. Just take a seat, and I'll catch you up after class. And he said he sat there paralyzed with fear. He stood there paralyzed with fear because the only seat was in the front of the class. And he didn't know what to do because he knew what happened to kids in Alabama that tried to sit in the front of anything. And she said, you're being disruptive. Now you need to take a seat. And he stood there paralyzed with fear. And in front of an all-white class, this eight-year-old wet himself in fear before he would go sit in the front of a class. And he told this story to 138, 137, plus him, 138, and me, of how much better young people have it in America today than he had it. And I don't want you to lose hope in your struggle. I don't want you to lose hope. I don't want you to do like my pastor friend who said that was the most important message he ever preached, and I come to find out that all his statistics were wrong and fake and false and just a way to blame stuff from a way long time ago to give people an excuse to say, we can't do any better. I want everybody in the room to know red, yellow, black, and white with God on our side, we can always do better. Listen to what some of these statistics mean. Children that come from fatherless homes are five times more likely to commit suicide. Seven times more likely to become teenage mothers. 24 times more likely to run away. 15 times more likely to have behavioral disorders. Three times more likely to be sexually abused. Six times more likely to be in state-operated institutions. Seven times more likely to drop out of school. Fifteen times more likely to end up in prison while a teenager. You say, well, it sounds like you're just making a horrible case for, because we have single parents in this church, including myself. Listen, we are the exception, not the rule. We are the few, not the many. The Bible says that the road to heaven is narrow and few there be that find it. With God on your side, you don't need a society that favors you. With God on your side, you don't have to worry about who's got privilege if you got favor. 
Uh, Y'all not hearing me, but I'm going to say it again. You don't have to worry about who has privilege if you know you have favor. Because favor beats privilege all the time. Consider this list, though, of men who grew up without a father. As a who's who. Infamous people. Famous for all the wrong reasons. Saddam Hussein. Jack the Ripper, Jeffrey Dahmer, Sirhan Sirhan, Lee Harvey Oswald, Charles Manson, Adolf Hitler, John Wilkes Booth, and a bunch of other people. The worst criminals in the history of the world can be tracked to the least, the most common denominator. They grew up in a home without a father. You say, how long are you going to ride this? I'm going to get off it in just a minute. But I know firsthand what it's like to grow up in a home without a father because I never knew my dad. And I suffered through most of these things. I was in a juvenile detention facility. I was in an adult jail. I I ran away from home. I was on drugs and alcohol as a young man. I I told y'all, some of y'all can't believe it. Some some of y'all look at the life that me and my sister live now, and you just figure it's always been that way. We were the most blackout drunks in the entire community. We were carrying around jugs of whole grain alcohol in milk jugs in the back of our drinking hot white lightning moonshine just because liquor is quicker. So I know what what can happen. See, my parents were young when I was divorced, and I was raised by a single mother who worked outside the home in between uh, stepfathers, and I found myself on the wrong side of the statistics. But I want to tell you today, if God can save a dysfunctional kid like me, if God can save a fatherless child like me, if God can save somebody who had all the disadvantages and was on the wrong side of all the statistics like me and use him for his glory, God can save you and use you for his glory. Because our God is a saving God, a life-changing God, a healing God, a delivering God. So I experienced many difficulties from not having a father in the home, but I've come to know the joy of having a father in my heart. I can remember when I was in Bible college and seminary, I had a professor who didn't have experience. See, one of the things, I I don't want for my kids my history, but I'm glad for my history. See, I've been been in the gutter, and I've been on the mountain. I've I've been behind bars, and I've been free. I've been poor, and I've been rich. I've been... In church, and I've been out of church. I've had family that didn't like me, and I've had family that liked me. I've been in a lot of different places. I've been in denominational churches that were all white and fundamental, legalistic, us for no more, everybody's going to hell but us. And I've been in overly charismatic churches where everybody just fell out in the Holy Ghost every time we got together. I've got a lot of different experience uh, in, in my life. But the experience of having God as my father is is the greatest experience I've ever had. This professor didn't have these experiences that I'd had. He was talking from a very narrow, he had a keyhole view of life. Just his little lily white, always saved, uh, never had a problem in life. And he said, some of you guys in my class that didn't have a father or didn't have a good father will never fully understand the fatherhood of God. You'll never be able to relate to God as a father because you've got a negative view of fathering in your first truth. It's going to be difficult for you to embrace God as a father. And I can remember as a young man, and I even challenged him as I was prone to do, and he hated my guts uh, because, hey, if you're going to put an open discussion class together, expect me to be open. (laughs) And I told him, I said, sir, 
You have your view, I have mine. But you're talking about something you had not lived through. Let me talk about something I have lived through. I grew up without a father, and I experienced lots of problems because of it. You say I can't embrace God as my heavenly father the way you can because you had a good role model as a father so you can look to a heavenly father in a better way. I think you've got that paradigm upside down because I think I appreciate God as my father more because the only father I've ever had is God, and that's all I've ever known. You think your father was a good role model. Nobody's a better role model than my heavenly father. And if you have a heavenly father, that's way more important than having an earthly father. That doesn't take away from your earthly father. The Bible says you ought to give honor to whom honors do. You ought to love mother and father, honor mother and father. I tell you all all the time, don't ever be guilty of the lies that our parents and grandparents told us. Don't use cliches to your children like, as long as you live in my house, you'll do what I say. I've told my children straight out of God's word, as long as I'm alive, you'll do what I say. It's still the father and the mother who are in charge. My mother still has authority over me because she's still living. If my mother tells me to do something, I have to do it because the Bible tells me to honor. My mother's 75 years old, 70. Six years old, my mother still is the one person in this planet, my only living parent, the one person who still has full authority over me. Don't tell your children, as long as you live in my house, you'll obey my rules. No, as long as they're alive, you obey their rules. Can anybody agree with that? Always honor mother and father. It's the first commandment with a promise. But let's get into this text this morning. In Matthew 7, it's a great passage. It's, it's this, this teaching from... Uh, starting in Matthew chapter 5 uh, through 7, it's, it's, the, it's the Sermon on the Mountain, longest recording sermon of, recorded sermon of Jesus. And in verse 7 uh, and following, he says some really cool things. Listen to what he said in verse 7. Keep on asking, and you will be given what you ask for. Keep on looking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open. Now, this is being read out of the New Living Translation. I like that translation. I, I like the King James Version as well because it's the version I was reading when I first got saved, and it's, it's it's, it's awesome to me. But in the King James, it says, ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. Well, I always had a problem with that verse before I started looking in, in more modern translations because I'm like, I've asked, and I didn't get squashed. <laughs> Can we be real? We're going to. I'm going to be real. You decide how fake you want to be. I asked God for lots of things I didn't get. And I'm like, something's off. Something is bad off. And I see a lot of things in the Bible that honestly I look at and think, I don't see it that way. But I always know when I see a difference, I, I call it my Arsenio moment. Some of y'all old enough, y'all remember Arsenio with the longest index finger in the world. He, he would always have it one segment, things that make me go, hmm. And that finger was like, he put his hand down here and his finger be up above his head. These, these, are, these are senile moments for me. I look in the Bible and I'm like, ask and it shall be given. Hmm, that ain't real. Because I've asked too many times and it, it didn't be given to me. I've, I, I, I seek and you'll find. Man, the people seeking all the time, finding nothing. Knocking, it'll be open. Y'all know folk don't always come to the door. I'm a living example. I don't answer the door. Knock on my door if you want to. Ring the doorbell. Bang on, well, bang on the window, I'm going to shoot you. But I don't get up and answer the door. Number one, because I primarily don't want to kill anybody. 
that's not supposed to be in my house. And if they home invade me, I'm going to be like, I'm going to be like that movie, that gangster movie. I'm going to let them in. As soon as they clear the hall, as soon as they clear the doorway, I'm going to lock it. And I'm going to tell them what Sonny told them. Now you just can't leave. <laughs> Surprise. I don't answer the door. Anybody, salespeople, kids, you know, trying, trying to sell. Listen, if you carry around a box of chocolate in the, in the, in the Florida heat, I don't want your mushy chocolate, for not even for a dollar. No. Lord have mercy. But I ain't trying to answer the door for anybody, so I know that knocking it'd be. That'd, but I always come back to this. Anytime I see something in the Bible that doesn't look right to me, I always assume the place of misunderstanding. Because I know if there's a difference in, in what I see and what the Word says, that the problem is with me and not the book. Because there's no problem in the book. I, I know the error is with me and not the book because there's no error in the book. So I, I was thinking, you know, mm, ask and you shall receive. Uh, that don't sound right. But under greater study, I found out that the Greek, that, that most of the New Testament was uh, originally written in Greek. And I found out that that word ask in the Greek is a continual tense verb which it shows more clearly in this translation, keep on asking. See, if you think ask and you'll receive, you think all you got to do is ask once and wait. But the Bible says keep on asking. The, the, the truth, the literal, the literal meaning is if you keep on asking, you will be given what you ask for. So a lot of times we as believers have asked for stuff we haven't gotten. Our choices are manifold. We can believe that, well, prayer don't work. And, and I, I can see how people would come to that conclusion uh, by not getting what they asked for. I know some of y'all have been praying for your marriage for a long time, hadn't gotten any better. Some of y'all been praying for your children for a long time, hadn't gotten any better. Some of y'all been praying for some friends and some family members for a long time, hasn't gotten any better. So I could understand how someone could come to the conclusion and say, God don't work, prayer don't work, but that's not right. That's not right. I can, I can tell you that biblically. I can tell you that experientially. Uh, prayer does work, and God does work. And so the, the, the problem is you haven't asked enough. So if you've ever asked for something and you haven't received it, then I want you to step into the present tense context of that verb and keep on asking. You don't have to just ask for something. You have to keep on asking for it. You just can't look for something. You got to keep on looking. You just, everybody don't answer the door the first time you knock on it. You got to keep on knocking on it. Look at somebody and say, keep on. We need to live a keep on life in regard to our prayer life. That's what the scripture says for us. Verse 8 says, for everyone who asks, receives. I used to read that thing. No, they don't. Because I don't. Everyone who seeks finds, and the door is open to everyone who knocks. Now, see, this is going back to an older translation and, and showing that it looks like all you have to do is ask and you get. No, everyone who keeps on asking receives. You know, some, sometimes we're not ready for that thing right now. So, see, God knows best. Uh, that, that old show that most of y'all too young know about, Father Knows Best. Father always knows best. Uh, everything's better when father's at home. But father knows best, and if our father knows you'd mismanage it now and blow it, it's just his grace to not give it to us yet. 
because he knows we're not going to use it right and hold on to it. Uh, so it, you, you, everyone who keeps asking finally receives. Everyone who keeps seeking eventually finds. And, and everyone who keeps knocking finally has a door opened to them. Now let's look at the part of our text that deals with fathering and parenting. In verse 9, Jesus said, you parents, if you're children, and in other versions it says fathers or you men. So, but I've told you so many times, as believers, we need to understand when the Bible says men, it's not always gender specific. It's typically talking about human. So in this translation, instead of saying men, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, or fathers, it says you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Question mark. Always pay attention to the punctuation. Figure out why it's there. It'll help you understand the scripture. Take the Bible in short pieces between the punctuation. Digest it. Figure out what it's saying. There's a question mark in here, so you think that this is a question, but it doesn't so much work like a question, so much so that they've given a name to this type of question. It's called a rhetorical question. My mama asked me a lot of rhetorical questions in my life. My mom has hit me with everything you can find in a house, including a golf club in my face. Uh, and uh, my mom would say, do you want me to keep beating you? Sure. Why not? It's a party. We're having fun. She'll hold me by the wrist and chase me around the whole house. I try to run. Listen, if the children run away from you, grab them. You say, they're bigger? Get a golf club. Um, don't get a golf club. But my mom would ask me these crazy questions. Uh, do, do, do you want me to give you something to cry about? This last 30-minute chase down in the house with blood dripping everywhere, I figure I got something to cry about. We're already there. Rhetorical question is a question that the answer is so obvious, it's not asking for you to answer it. When Jesus said, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a rock instead? Uh, but I know there's that one kid. He's like, that's all they give me, dog. <laughs> I take a piece of bread, man. <laughs> but, but most people understand the rhetorical nature of this question. He's trying to come at parents and let parents know that you're good to your kids. And how much more is God going to be good to you? He throws another question at them like that because Jesus taught the same way that parents teach today through redundancy. He said, if they ask a fish, do you give them a snake? I know there's that one little, you know, Bubba Ray Jones uh, Listen, if you chew tobacco at nine years old, volunteer for a boy's home, please. Bubba Ray, he, he probably saying, man, I wish I could have a fish. Because, listen, you snake-having people, I don't, don't use this as your proof text. This, this ain't even a real question. This is rhetorical. I know some of y'all got snakes in your house. I, I got issues with that. I ain't coming over either. But he's asking them these 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 questions that the answer should be so obvious if your children ask you for a fish it's like if your kids say dad can we go to burger king tonight and you're like no you can go eat bricks in the back uh, i my kids could be close to this i mean they ain't bubba ray they ain't they don't have tobacco stains on their teeth at nine years old but uh my kids have been told they because we go out to eat every night every single night since their mom died we got we don't cook at home the only thing that i saw deacon west at Publix the other day, and he was shocked to see me because he's in there getting food. 
we hugged, embraced, uh, looked at all the people staring at us, wondering why, why are these two people that look so opposite of each other staring at each other, talking about love. And he's like, did you come for your Pop-Tarts? I said, don't forget the Dr. Pepper. Cereal, Pop-Tarts, and Dr. Pepper. That's the only aisle we're on. That's what, oh, and, you know, Hawaiian Punch. That's the only aisle and milk because you've got to have milk for your cereal. Uh, we eat out every night. And that's, that's, not, that's not, you know, figurative. That's literal. So my kids, the, one, one of the, the questions is asked every day in my house by one of us, what you want to eat tonight? And sometimes when I'm tired of it, my kids will be like, what are we eating tonight? And the, the answer that they've heard more than anything else is dirt. If, I, if they, like, ask me too many times and I'm not ready to go eat, Dad, can we go eat? I'm hungry. What are we going to eat tonight? Dirt. There's plenty of it in the backyard. Go eat. So they, they probably could live into this verse, but most normal people couldn't. Jesus is trying to get us to understand that when children, natural children, ask their natural fathers for something, we do it for them as best we can. Verse 11, he makes the point. He says, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? This promise, and when you read the Bible, you ought to search for promises. There is a promise in this verse that teaches a couple of different things. Number one, there's a definite truth in here that says our heavenly father is more generous than our natural father. Our heavenly father loves us more, and, and that's a hard lesson for many parents to ever have to learn and I've had to accept that truth in my own life because my sons are, are a huge part of my life we're always together we do everything together people say don't you get lonely you don't date you don't go anywhere you got nobody to go see a movie with you ain't got no, nobody to go grab a meal with I see a movie every week with my children I eat out every night with my kids I'm fine uh, but they're a big part of my life and they they uh, I had to come to the reality in difficult times when, when they needed more than I could give them, the reality is this. God loves our children even more than we do. Have you come to grips with that yet? I know if you're a parent, you love your children. Whether you're a good parent or a bad parent, I know you love your children. And maybe they don't understand how deep you love them. But it's, it's an awesome reality to come to grips with the fact that God loves them even more than we do. And I had to come face to face with that last night uh, when I got the call that my sister-in-law had died. Um, my heart went out to my mother-in-law and father-in-law having relived this thing um, almost 12 years to the day uh, between their only two, only two daughters. Um, and I thought, and I just talk to God like I believe he's real because I do. And I just tell him this don't make sense, God. And the best people I know, been in the same church their whole life, deacon, administrator, just love you, do, do, just live for God, uh, great people. It, this, this just don't seem right. But I had to come to the reality, even with my mother and father-in-law, that God loves them even more than I do. And, see, we have such benefit as Christians. I want you to get the benefit of having a heavenly father. He knows what he's doing. He's got it covered. We don't, we don't have to worry. I tell my kids all the time, you don't have to worry about the house creaking, noises, booming, banging, windows cracking if I'm home. Because nobody's going to do anything. While, when dad's home, everything's okay. As Christians, we have the reality that God is always with us. And that he has a desire to give good gifts 
to those who ask him. I want you to get everything you can get in life. What if you knew your father, your biological father, was a multi-billionaire, had all the money you could possibly imagine, and just would give you everything you asked for? Now, my kids would be trying because Seth's like, hey, Dad, why don't we get a Bentley? I was looking at a Bugatti. You want to, hey, the car is it's only a million five. I said, it'd be sweet. You can take me. I could quit riding a bus. You could drive me to school in, a, in that. I'm like, and so my kids don't have a hesitancy to ask. But what if you found out, what, what if you grew up in life, found out mom and dad were hiding hundreds of millions of dollars, and the only thing you ever got was hand-me-downs, and they said, well, because you never asked for nothing new. Well, now you got to take, take the blame off stingy old mom and dad hoarding up money, giving us nothing. I've had my kids ask me that before. Dad, when are we going to get a new car? When this one dies? <laughs> Dad, why don't we move back on the lake? Why don't we buy, we, we riding down, I don't just take them to, you know, bad neighborhoods. I take them to good neighborhoods. We riding down A1A. Looking at multi-million dollar beach homes. Dad, we ought to buy one of these $25 million houses. Look, look like John Cena lived there. We'd be neighbors. <laughs> I'm trying to buy no house for that much money. I, 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 don't, I ain't, I ain't going to spend it all, and I'm not going to give my kids everything that they ask for, but I want you to know that I give them a lot of what they ask for. What if you got to heaven and found out that there was stuff you could have done, things you could have seen, things you could have possessed, things God wanted to trust you with, but you just never asked for in another scripture, God told us you have not because you ask not. Get on the asking side of life. See, my kids are on the asking side of life. Dad, can we go to Disney World this week? Hey, Dad, can I lay out of school? Why, why don't we take this week off from school? We took, like, before break, before spring break, this last big break they had, we took three days off on the front of it and, and three days off on the back of it. We're like, we got to be the only people. We went to New Orleans a week before spring break. We got to be the only people uh, that, that, that waited to go out of town, or, or that went out of town before the break. But so I, I give them a lot, but I want you to know whether your parents give you a lot or don't give you a lot, be asking your heavenly father. Because your father might give you a stone. He might tell you to eat dirt. He might not buy you a Bugatti or a, 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 a Ferrari, a Lamborghini, or any of them other cars he's always looking at. But God says he wants to give you things. But you got to be willing to ask what are you asking God for what are you asking God for you complaining about you don't have enough money to pay the bills are you asking God for his help well be willing to know he have some answers to you I already told you according to scripture uh, one of the reasons we have not is because we ask not another reason we have not when it comes to money because the Bible says that when you don't pay tithes and give offering God will on your money and blow it away It'll make itself wings and fly away. It'll vanish. The reason why some people don't have is because they don't ask. The reason why other people don't have is because they don't give. But I want to tell you about a God who wants to give you. I'm going to give you three good things that God wants to give you. We're going to get out of here. But before we do that, you've got to answer two questions. Who are God's kids? And how do I become one of God's kids? I hope you know the answer to whether or not you're one of God's kids. And I hope you know the answer to how do you become a God a child of God, because a lot of people are under the false understanding that everybody that's alive, we're all children of God. Well, a lot of people, and even churches teach uh, 
that God is our Father based on creation. But the Scripture doesn't teach that. Jesus said in John 8, 42, If God were your Father, you would love me. Because I have come from come to you from God. I'm not here on my own, but He sent me. See, if you don't love Jesus, God is not your Father. So you got to come off all that asking stuff before you get uh, some type of connectivity. Now, God, the Bible says that he's our father, but it also talks about the fact that he adopted us. We didn't start off as a child of God. We got adopted into his family. Now, kids that are sitting there waiting on adoption, they might ask every parent that comes through here, like, yo, psst, 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 let me you. Hey, you got a 20? Can I get some money? And that game probably won't work. They're, they're there looking for a specific child, and if they take that child, they're more likely to give more to that child than to give to somebody that is not their child. See, I will do for anybody that I, I think really needs my help to do, but I'll do for my own more than I'll do for anybody. You need to make sure that you're one of God's children. Jesus said God's not everybody's father in John 8, 44. He said, for you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. Listen, I want you to know, if you love to do evil things, you are not a Christian. If you love to do evil things, your father is not Jehovah. Your father is the devil. Jesus said it. Don't take issue with me. I'm just the messenger. In, in verse 47 of John 8, he said, Anyone whose father is God listens gladly to the words of God. Since you don't, it proves you aren't God's children. Well, see, this is why some churches... And, and I've been to churches like this, and some of y'all grew up in churches like this and came from churches like this that start at 11 and don't end before 3.30. Anybody? Ever, ever, ever heard of a church like that? All right. Uh, now, you know, people are like, it's, a, man, it's about noon here, man. We better wrap this up. Better wrap this up. I went to a church growth conference by the largest church growth pastor in America out in Southern California, and... The Purpose Driven Church, Rick Warren made a billion dollars on that book. Then he wrote The Purpose Driven Youth Group, made another billion. Then he wrote The Purpose Driven Housewife, whatever. He was just making all that money. And he said one of the keys to growing a church is to make sure that you are less than 59 minutes from start to finish. People don't want to be in church all day. Which took me right to this verse. Anyone whose father is God listens, what? Gladly to the words of God. They don't begrudge what time of day it is. I mean, I know if you've been here more than twice, you realize that I'm not going to preach less than an hour. doesn't matter what time I start. My average sermon is now, it, it used to be hour six. Now I'm pushing up close to hour ten. But folk who have God for their father, they're like, where else are we going to go? You sit in a, what, what was that movie? Avenger, Infinity War. Y'all know that movie like nine hours long? I would love to take you to that movie and buy you a 40-ounce Coke before the movie starts. Let that sit on, as long as you're over 50. Let that sit on your bladder for about two and a half hours. And you don't want <laughs> Football game, three hours. Basketball game, solid two, two and a half. Baseball game, could take all day. But if you love it, you're not thinking, man, this game's been on for an hour and a half already. When's it going to end? You knew when you sat down. It's 1 to 4. It's 4 to 7. It's, 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 it's 9 to midnight. That's what it's going to be. 
And people don't have a problem with that. They don't, they don't be like, oh, man, I, I can't go to a movie last over an hour. Well, then you don't go to movies because all movies last longer than an hour. People don't complain about it because they love being there. And anyone whose father's God listen gladly to the words of God. So if you clock check it and don't really have anywhere you have to be, just somewhere you want to be other than here, you might just well go and admit, get you a T-shirt that says, God is not my father. He said, since you don't, since you don't what? Since you don't gladly listen to the words of God, it proves you aren't God's children. Now, I've, I've had people for the last 37 years that I've been preaching tell me, well, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Why well, I find that false. Biblically, I find that false. If they had said, I don't have to be, go to church to go to heaven, I find that true. The thief on the cross, by, by no one's account, we don't know that he ever sat in the church. But he went to heaven. Okay, so you, you don't have to come to church to go to heaven. You can get saved, die that day, and go to heaven. But if you call yourself a Christian, that means like Christ. And the Bible says Jesus' custom was to be in church every time they met. The apostles went to church every day. And since people don't, since people don't what? Since they don't gladly listen to the words of God, they're not the children of God. So not only... Are people that don't, I've had people say, I, I can worship God just as good on the lake as I can in the church. I can worship God just as good in my bedroom as I can at the church. I can worship God at the beach just as good as I can at the church. I can worship God at the barbecue just as good as I can at church. And I challenge you to tell them this. It's very simply. Say, okay, but do you? Because I can tell you at the lake and at the beach, and at the barbecue, they're not worshiping God. They're worshiping the lake, the beach, and the barbecue. And they are glad to be there. Now, I want you to think in your own mind. Or can you say with what all Christians have said scripturally from, from ever ago? I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Are you glad to be in the house of God one more time. Are you glad when Sunday rolls around so you get an opportunity to be in a room full of your brothers and sisters in Christ and learn more about the God who loves you? If you are, then that proves you have a heavenly father. If you are not, that proves you have a devil father. And that's a hard word, but it's the word of God. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. So we don't start off with God. We've got to come to God. And the only way you can come to God is through Jesus. See, Jesus would not work well in today's politically correct, inclusive, open-minded America. Because he was not politically correct. They hated him, and, and they, they killed him. He, he, he was not inclusive. He said, most of y'all going to die and go to hell. And, 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 and le unless you're willing to eat my flesh and drink my blood, you had no part in me. He said, if, if, if you come to me and you look back, you don't deserve me. He said, if you don't hate your mother, your father, your sister, and your brother compared to the way you feel about me, you're not worthy of me. That's not politically correct to say that. That's not inclusive. He said, the, the road to hell is wide, and that's where most people are, but the road to heaven is narrow and few there be to find it. He wasn't politically correct or inclusive. And, and, and he was very much narrow-minded because he said, I'm the only way to get to God. He, he didn't play that Oprah role. Oprah said, Google it. Oprah said, Jesus can't be the only way. Because what you call God, some people might call by a different name. You might go to Jesus, and I might go to the light. 
Well, listen, if that light ain't named Jesus, you're going to be in the dark. Because you can only get to the Father through Jesus. There, I don't care if, if you're rich, if you're poor, red, yellow, black, white, educated, uneducated. I don't care if your parents laid the... I meet people. It just kills me because I always ask people when I meet them, are you a Christian? And when they say, oh, yeah, I've been... I ask them how long they've been a Christian. I've always been saved. My, my, my grandfather laid the cornerstone on, on Philippians. Uh, my 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 my, my great grandfather laid laid the cornerstone uh, at Bethel, uh, uh, and I'm like, so you're going to heaven because your grandfather was a mason and he he worked on the construction of a building. That's 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 your view, and that's some people's view of Christianity. You can't come to God by being a good person. You can't come to God on mom and daddy's coattails. You can't come to God because somebody else has faith. You can only come to God through Jesus. If you want to have a real Father's Day every day of the life, if you really want to have a heavenly Father, you got to start listening to His Word gladly. you got to come to the Father through Jesus Christ, and you got to submit to His authority. See, people don't like this message. People don't like a message about submitting because we want to do what we want to do, dance how we want to dance. We want to play how we want to play. We want to, we want to have it our way. Have it your way. Have it your way. Y'all don't remember that. That was a great mantra because that's how Americans wanted it. That's Burger King. Because when I was a kid, if you told McDonald's uh, uh, no ketchup, they like, we don't serve it with no ketchup, sir. God's honest truth. You could not alter your menu. At McDonald's until Burger King crushed them out with have it your way, have it your way. And you could get no ketchup. Well, why would I want ketchup to begin with? Don't make all of them with no ketchup. But where are we at? We're still here. People don't want the submission message. Women don't want to submit to men. Men don't want to submit to anybody. Children don't want to submit to their parents. And Americans don't want to submit to any higher authority. And if you're not willing to submit to God, he's not your father. See, because a real child will lay across the bed and take a whooping if they love mama, if they love daddy. A real child knows that there is consequences to their action. The Bible says, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. See, you ought to be glad you're on a short leash. If you're really saved, God's going to put you on a short leash. He's not going to let you get out too far away from him before he jerks a knot in your neck. Drags you back with a whooping. The Bible goes so far as to say that if you be without chastisement, you are bastards and not his children. And a bastard is somebody who's an illegitimate child of the father. They don't have a real relationship with the dad. So you got to determine today, do you fit into this Father's Day thing with Jehovah? Because everybody's not a child of God. The, how to become a child of God is easy. In John chapter 1 verse 10 the scripture says, but although the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him when he came. That's heartbreaking to me. God did all this stuff for people, and people didn't even recognize him or honor him when he came. Verse 11 says, even in his own land, among his own people, he was not accepted. You're worrying about how many people like you. Jesus was hated of all men. Jesus was, 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 was lonely. Jesus was misunderstood. Jesus was rejected. Jesus was betrayed. Jesus went through all types of stuff. His own people didn't accept him. Verse 12 gives us good news. It says, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. You have to become a child of God. You ain't always been saved. Nobody has but Jesus. You have to become a child of God. And the scripture tells us clearly, by believing him and accepting him. 
Jesus' message is come to me and I'll take you to the Father because I'm going to die for your sins and I'm going to raise myself from the dead. If you believe that story and you choose to accept him, then you can have a heavenly Father. Verse 13 says, they are reborn! Exclamation point. There ought to be an excitement about your salvation. He said, this is not a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan. This rebirth comes from God. See, I have a physical birth, August 6, 1963, but I have a Spiritual rebirth, July 15, 1981. I understand what it means to be born again. You need to make sure you understand what it means to be born again. Verse 14 says, the word became human and lived here on earth. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the only son of the father. See, to become God's child, you've got to believe in Jesus. You've got to accept Jesus as the boss of your life. You, 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 you've got to do something to become something. And when you get to that place, and I think some of y'all are already there, when you get saved for real, when you can say, I gladly come to church, I gladly listen to his word, sometimes you ramble too long, but I wait for you to make a point, here's the point. God wants to give you stuff. That's where we started. God wants to give you stuff. Listen, listen to, to three good things that God wants to give his kids. According to Romans 14, 17, we're going to be done after this verse. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. See, a lot of people want to act like, uh, well, he drank the wrong thing. He can't be saved. In that day and age, they were eating food. They had discount food. Buy one, get one. I just recently learned what a BOGO is. I'm so proud of myself. People are like, they got a BOGO. I'm like, a BOZO? Uh, they, they had discount meat. They had all types of gods in the first century, and they would have sacrifices to them, and they would bring all this meat to, to, the, to the sacrifices to false gods, and what didn't get burned up, they would take back to the market and sell on discount at the flea market. And some Christians were like, I can't eat that. It's been, and so they had people saying, based on what you eat, based on what you drink, uh, that, that means whether or not you, whether you're saved. And, 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 and the scripture says that's, that's not, that's not what, what it means to be in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. You should see three things in there that God's word says are for the people inside his kingdom. Uh, I want you to think about them this morning, righteousness. Righteousness is what God gives us when we come to him. He gives us a right relationship with him, and he gives us the power to live right. Listen, if you can't overcome your addiction, you ought to start, start by asking yourself, are you truly a child of God? If you can't live right, if you can't forgive people, if you can't get over stuff, if you can't reconcile with people, you ought to first off start with, why can't you live right? Because righteousness is a gift for all who are in God's kingdom. Not only righteousness, the Bible says peace. The power to be at peace with yourself and with others. I've said this for years. I don't think I've said it in a while, but it remains true in my life, and I believe in a lot of people's lives. Most people would be happier and be better off if they could just get Three peaceful days. Three days in a row where they got good sleep. Three days in a row where nobody harassed them. Three days in a row where they didn't have to go off on anybody. Three days in a row where nobody went off on them. Three days in a row where everything just went peaceful. Well, change most people's life. They'd be like, man, I, I, I just added 50 years back to my life. I had, I had a day and a half that went right. Uh, I, I take a day and a half right now. But peace is a gift. 
from God. Jesus said, I, I, I give you my peace, not the way the world gives peace, not that come and go peace. I give you real peace, peace like a river, peace, peace that will just flow in you, peace that will keep your mind on right when everybody else says you should be going crazy, peace that will keep you moving toward God when everybody else starts walking away from God, peace that stays with you, not peace that the devil takes from you. Peace that will cause your family and your friends to ask, why hadn't you given up on that religion yet? Because it wasn't religion you was holding on to. It's a relationship with God that kept you peaceful in your mind when you knew you should have died already. This is a gift Father wants to give you on Father's Day. What a God we serve. It's Father's Day. People think about buying their father something. Our God is so generous. He wants to give us something. He gives us righteousness. He gives us peace. Last, he gives us joy. The power to have joy in the midst of a crazy world. If you've been in church, you've heard some preacher talk about comparing joy to happiness. Happiness comes and goes. Sadness comes and goes. Circumstances are good. Circumstances are bad. But joy remains. Joy is consistent. Joy is deep down on the inside. Joy is there when, when things are going right and things are going wrong. Joy is there on good days and bad days, happy days and sad days. God, if you are his child, if he is your father, he wants to give you joy. The Bible says the type of joy that he wants to give is a joy unspeakable and full of glory. A a joy that is beyond human comprehension. He wants to give you so much joy that 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 overall feeling of, I know it's going to be all right. I know it's going to be all right. People, church folk don't sing hymns like they used to because too many people in church ain't saved no more. They want to sing feel-good songs, not songs that were written out of Scripture. Hymns were mostly written out of the Scripture. Songs people sing now are mostly written out of feel-good. They want to take back what the devil stole from them when they're the ones that gambled it all away at the track. <laughs> the devil stole my marriage. Well, them last four affairs you had didn't help on it either. I mean, you know, so people always want to look for something that's not biblical. But God wants to give you a joy that's on the inside. The joy that comes from realizing what the hymn writer said when he said, When the saints go marching in. Oh, when the saints go marching in. Oh, how I want to be in that number. If you know that you're in that number. You ought to have joy on the inside. If you know you're in that number, you don't have to worry about what the statistics Pastor Red today say. You don't have to worry about what the white man says or what the black man says. You don't have to worry about who's in office of president. You know who's sitting on the throne in heaven. You have a joy that says the only thing that matters to me is I'm going to See, here's the thing about me. Suicide runs in my family. Depression runs in my family. Failed suicide runs in my family. That scared me off. And listen, don't put a gun in your mouth, pull the trigger. I had an uncle put a shotgun in his mouth and missed. <laughs> Just like that. Depression, suicide runs in my family. So, you know, me and my sister, we get to check on each other, make sure everybody's in the right frame of mind, make sure everybody's doing good, hard things happen. We want to make sure that, you know, we're not succumbing to what some of our family members have committed suicide, been, been in, in lifelong depression. And, and my, my sister could tell you straight up, other than God, on my good day, you know, I say, no, God is too good to me to be thinking about something like that. But on my not good days, on, on my days when I'm, in, I'm not in a great frame of mind, she'll tell you why people wonder, man, 
it just seemed like pastor go from tragedy to tragedy. It just seemed like pastor just going through. Uh, man, she could tell you why I ain't killed myself and why I ain't never going to kill myself. Because I ain't going to give the haters the joy of it. I ain't going to give the people looking for me to do bad. Hey, stack the deck against me if you want to. I'm on God's side. I'm going to win. I'm not going to lose. You're sitting back waiting on me to give up. You're going to be disappointed. You're sitting back wondering when I'm going to stop serving God. You're going to be disappointed. I've been rejected and lied on. I've been despised and abused. I've been from tragedy to hurt. But I have never seen God give up on me. If you think I'm going to give up on God, you got the wrong one. You might give up on God. I'll tell you what I told all the haters when they started hating on me to begin with. I was loving God before I met you, and I still be loving God after I forget you. You ain't going to pull me out of my Holy Ghost. You ain't going to get me to give up on God. God has done too much for me. God has put joy in my heart. God has given me peace like a river. God has given me help when I needed help. He's been my very consistent help in my good time and in my bad time. He's always there. Come on and say hallelujah. Give God some praise. He is worthy. He is worthy. He is worthy. He wants to give you joy. He wants to give you hold on power. He wants to give you peaceful power. He wants to give your enemies a black eye. We're going to get out of here, but I'm going to tell you this. I get on my bad days, I start praying like David. Kill all my enemies, Lord. What did David say? David said, crush their teeth with gravel. Break their backs, Lord. David, David got real deep. He said, take their names and their ancestor names out of your book. Kill them in hell with death. I'm like, well, I don't go that far. <laughs> you read what you sow. I'm not trying to do all that. God wants you to have righteousness. We're sinful people. We've all sinned, the Bible says. We've all come short of God's glory. You can't be perfect. That's why Jesus came to be perfect for us. You can't even live the Christian life after you get saved. That's why Jesus wants to live his life through you. This is the message of God. God wants to give you righteousness. You got to be saved to get it. And if you are saved, you have to ask him for it. This is what real Christianity is. This is what the kingdom of God is. It's being righteous. Not perfect. Righteous. Not always picking the right thing, but having a right standing with God peace that the world can't have and joy because you know your team wins you can look down you can, get, you can be sad you can have a pity party you can believe see I came from the wrong side of the tracks all my cousins aunts, uncles Lived and died in a small town in rural Louisiana on cotton farms. Most of them didn't, didn't even go past 6th, 7th, 8th grade. I can say, you know, because I come out of a family full of white trash, crazy folk, 
that I wasn't going to get far in life. Because I wasn't born a senator's son. Because I was raised on the wrong side of the track. See, when my parents were married, we lived in England. My father was a multimillionaire. We had house servants. We had gardeners. We had live-in maids. We, we, we went to private schools. And I wonder why my mom, I asked my mom later in life, I'm like, you know, we were kind of living fat over there. Why in the world would you leave a dude like that? She said, because I'd rather be with somebody who wouldn't cheat on me so I could be happy than be rich. And I'm thinking, shoot. <laughs> you would be happy with a rich man. Quick, Listen, single girls, it's as easy to fall in love with a rich man as it is a poor man. I'm thinking, <laughs> I'd have stayed with that, you know. I ain't trying to go gay, but at least he had money. I could say that I couldn't accomplish much because of, I mean, we came out of poverty. When, when my mother came back to America, brought two little kids back to America, my mother never worked much, not a full-time job. She had no marketable skills. We moved in with her sister. You want to talk about crazy? You ask my sister. We moved into a family that had seances every night in their basement you know bad stuff going on in the basement man I'd at least want to be above ground I can remember see they don't make kids go through this embarrassment anymore and they don't make mothers go through this embarrassment anymore some of us old enough to remember when mom count out food stamps at the checkout they ain't had no visa card you know that EBT that, that, that EBT card, you know, they just people, that, that could be American Express. You don't know. You see some, well, they, I can remember when I was on free lunch and I had to show my card to the lady every day. And I'm thinking, come on, man, you know, you know, I'm, my family's broke, poverty stricken, and we ain't got nothing. Make me pull this card out every day. They don't, they don't do that now. They, they, but I can remember standing in line, kids handing over cash money, and I'm pulling out this little laminated card, red writing across it, free lunch, Scott Becker. I could say all that's the reason why I never did X, Y, and Z in life, but that ain't the reason. You, you, you could say because you're black and in America, that's why you ain't never had X, Y, and Z, and there's a lot of truth to some of that, but it ain't the only reason. You could say because you weren't born on the right side of the tracks that you're not going to be able to do this, this, and that. And, and maybe there's some truth to that. But the greater truth for the believer is God wants to be your father. I can remember as a confused young boy wishing I had parents that could give me money to buy lunch at school so I didn't have to show that card. I can remember I remember my sister going through, wearing homemade clothes and hand-me-down clothes when all her friends were wearing nice, new, fashionable stuff. I remember when there was a Zayers on Normandy Boulevard, and I was going into the seventh grade, a very tough time for a young athletic boy who was playing sports to have the right shoes on. And all I wanted was a pair of Chuck Taylors. 
white canvas high top shoes. $11.99 from Charlie Coleman. And you got a Charlie Coleman t-shirt. Charlie Coleman Athletic Attic on the corner of Blanding and 103rd Street. For $11.99, you look like all the cool kids at school. Because kids be wearing that Charlie Coleman shirt at school every day. And wearing those $12 shoes. And I can remember asking for those shoes and being told no. And me and my sister had to dig in a barrel in Zayers and get hot boxes, two for $5. And thinking, why does it have to be this way? And I let those wrong thoughts and that bad thinking drive me further and further away from normalcy, further and further away from God. But when I finally responded to God's call on my life for salvation, I realized it's not as important what side of the tracks I grew up on or even how far I make it in this life as long as I make it to heaven in the next life. I want you to make it to heaven in the next life. I want you to make it to heaven in the next life. If you're here and you're not saved, you know that you're not going to heaven right now. I got great news for you. All you have to do, the Bible says, is ask God to save you and he will. See, a lot of you can truly say, Pastor, I've done that so many times, it's embarrassing. I've done that so often, I, I can't even stomach to do it again. Some of y'all walked an aisle, some of y'all raised a hand uh, so many times in your life, and it, it's never worked. You asked God to save you, and he didn't. The preacher been saying all you got to do is ask him to save you, and he will. And you're wondering, why? why? Why hadn't I been saved 37 times I walked aisle, 52 times I prayed and asked God to save me? Because the Bible says that you'll search for God and find him when you search for him with your whole heart. When your time. You weren't ready. You, 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 you tried to make an emotional decision that you weren't prepared to make a life change. If you are ready for salvation, the good news is God's always ready to respond. He said if you call on him, he will save you. But you got to have it in your mind. you got to have it in your heart. I truly want this more than I want anything. If you ever get to the place in your life, and I'm not going to hold you today and make you come down this aisle, but I'm going to stick around after church this morning, and I'm going to have some leaders stick around with me. And if you need somebody to pray with you about something that's upsetting you, you need somebody to pray with you for salvation, I want you to come up front and meet with us and let us pray with you this morning. You need to make sure you're in the number. Some of you know you don't have righteousness. You can't live right two days in a row to save your life. Some of you know you don't have peace. You find it peace in bottles and cans, drugs, alcohol, perversion, sex, all the wrong places. Some of you know you don't really have joy. You're just hoping to fake it until you make it. You don't have to fake it. You can make it. You can make it. God wants to be your father. If you're not saved, he is not your father. He wants to give you righteousness, peace, and joy. But he said, ask. Some of you say, I've asked. Remember what the first thing we started with today. Keep asking. Keep asking. Keep asking. Keep asking God for his help. Keep asking God for deliverance. Keep asking God to save you until it works for you. And then you'll be able to say, now I know that God is my father. Now I have a father. See, I grew up with a lot of difficulty, and I'm still plagued with a lot of emotional things I, that I thought by 50, almost 5, I would have gotten over by now. I didn't have 
role model in my life other than coaching. I didn't have a dad to love me. I didn't have a dad. Last statistic, because I'm way over. The average single mother in America makes $22,000 a year and has two and a half unfathered children. That's the average single mother. Three family homes, $22,000 a year. I had to check multiple sites to make sure this next one was true because I'm thinking, well, they don't live on the west side of Jacksonville because the average two-parent home makes $81,000 a year and has the same two-and-a-half children. We came back to America, lived with people, slept on couches, on floors, went through stuff. My mom had to go to nursing school and become a nurse late in life. Never had a dad. My dad has never thrown a ball with me. And I played everything the school had to play. Everything the athletic association had to play. Even played basketball one year. Shortest kid on the team. Imagine that. My dad's never thrown a ball with me. I can't think of any time spent with him. Because even before I was eight, he was never around. And I can remember thinking, you know, if I had a dad, my, we weren't living with crazy people, life would be better. But I couldn't change my situation. It is what it is and it was what it was. But I can tell you what change did happen to me. On July 15th, 1981, I found a father who loves me, who listens to me who allows me the privilege to talk to him and hear his voice. I can't tell you what my father's voice sounds like. I know he's not country like me. New Jersey millionaire. But I know my heavenly father. And I want you to understand this. No matter how good or bad your earthly father has been to you, there is no better father than Jehovah. And Jesus is the only way you can get there. Let's pray together. God, thank you for being so gracious and so kind. Happy Father's Day to you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for being a real father to the fatherless. Thank you for being generous and kind. Thank you for being a provider and a protector. Thank you for overcoming any obstacle that we might face with your love and your power. Help us, God, to honor you on this Father's Day and every day. Help us, God, to receive your righteousness, peace, and joy so that we might be children who represent their Father well. Let us take the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, to the whole world. Let us honor you let us be a good testimony to the grace and the love of our Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. 
to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast and visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church, loving God, loving people.